The last page has been turned in my most recent read. Okay, that's actually a little bit of a fib. Reading has been on the back burner this week and I, I guess I've been in a kind of slump, but I am hopeful that one or both of the books on my coffee table will kick me back into what I consider to be my usual routine. But it happens to the best of us, right? Luckily, the worst effects of COVID have subsided and though I still have a tiny bit of a nasal tone, I am much better but I will apologise in advance for any sniffles all the same. So here I am, no spoilers, as opinion-filled as ever, and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I revisit a world at war with the gods, where two unexpected lovers have been separated and are both working to spread the truth. This week, I am picking up the final book in the Letters of Enchantment duology by Rebecca Ross. This week, I am talking about Ruthless Vows. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, and long-term depression sufferer. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. To be honest with you here, I wasn't actually sure I was going to ever pick up this book. There are so many incredible novels out there that this was somewhere quite low on my list. However, after a very pleasant and generous book token gift, I decided to have a bit of a splurge on the Waterstones website as you do, and somehow Ruthless Vows ended up in my basket and, a few days later, in a box on my doorstep. Two weeks have passed since Iris Winnow returned home, bruised and heartbroken from the front. But the war is far from over. Roman is missing and the city of Oath continues to dwell in a state of disbelief and ignorance. When Iris and Atty are given another chance to report on Dacra's movements, they both take the opportunity and head westward once more, despite the danger, knowing it's only a matter of time before the conflict reaches a city that's unprepared and fracturing beneath the Chancellor's reign. Since waking below in Dacra's realm, Roman cannot remember his past, but given the reassurance that his memories will return in time, Roman begins to write articles for Dacra, uncertain of his place in the greater scheme of the war. When a strange letter arrives by wardrobe door, Roman is first suspicious, then intrigued. As he strikes up a correspondence with his mysterious pen pal, Roman will soon have to make a decision to stand with Dacra or betray the god who healed him. And as the days grow darker, inevitably drawing Roman and Iris closer together, the two of them will risk their very hearts and futures to change the tides of the war. There is very little time between the end of Divine Rivals and the beginning of Ruthless Vows, as is established. As we left them last time, Iris had woken from the attack in Avalon Bluff to discover that she was saved by her older brother Forrest, who was previously believed to have been missing in action for pretty much the entirety of Divine Rivals. Unfortunately for the very recently married and in love Iris, her new husband, Roman, 
or Kit, as he is referred to by pretty much everyone. And no, this isn't something that bugs me at all. Promise. Uh, Despite my tone. Anyway, while Iris is trying to get on with her life back in Oath, she is continuing to work as a war correspondent in the offices of the ink-ridden Tribune with her boss Helena and her friend Attie. But this doesn't stop her from missing and worrying about Roman because she has no idea where he is. She can only hope that he's still alive. Fortunately for our female protagonist, somewhere miles away, underground and in the HQ of one of the most powerful warring gods, who remained faceless in the previous book, Roman is awake, but he remembers nothing about Iris. He has faint feelings that there is something he is missing, but he is so distracted by the promises being made by Dacra that the god has cured him of his illness, that Roman's life was saved by his actions. And now he owes him. So what does Roman owe? Why? His skill as a writer, of course. He becomes the voice of Dacra's propaganda, writing articles and sending them to the Oath Gazette for publication. On seeing Roman's byline in the Gazette, Iris begins to feel hope. And after a rather clever but possibly misguided heist, during which she steals the third magical typewriter from Oath's museum, so she recommences writing letters to Roman, reassuring herself that he is not only alive, but coming back to her. Beneath the surface, there is a lot going on politically in Oath, initiated in great parts by Roman's manipulative father, Oh. He really was one character I wanted to see get his just desserts, but whether he does or not is another thing entirely. Having discovered that Iris and Roman were married while in Avalon Bluff, Roman's father sets about trying to bribe Iris into annulling their alliance, but she rightly refuses, making a rather powerful enemy in the meantime. But what does that matter? This is a romanticy, and the romance is what's important. But what no one realises or seems to be connecting the dots on is that while the people are focused on the war being fought between Enver and Dacra outside Oath, there is another power rising in the city, a secret society called the Graveyard. They have spies everywhere. Enver, who made a few appearances on the page in the early book and was mentioned as a goddess with purpose and power, appears to Iris in dreams as her deceased mother, giving her warnings and advising her on the next steps she needs to take, including returning to the front line. I know that you, as readers and listeners, will probably want to know what happens in the end. Do our separated lovers find each other again? Does the war get resolved? Is anyone dead? But as always, I don't want to give anything away because that would ruin the story. While many fans will have already devoured the book, there will be others for whom it's currently sitting on their TBR waiting to be read. Being honest, if it hadn't, if I hadn't been trying to find something easy to read for the first of the year, then I would likely have been one of those waiting to read it.
We're at the end of January now and February is promising even more incredible novels, many of which I have admittedly pre-ordered and I am really looking forward to. For fantasy readers, Divine Rivals was an incredibly popular release, coming out less than a month before Force Wing and garnering almost as much attention as the dragon-focused novel. So it's unsurprising that the release date of the sequel, originally set for, I believe, April 2024, was brought forward to December in the US and very early January in the UK. For reasons I am still unable to comprehend, Ruthless Vows ended up being my first read of 2024, and I will be telling you my views of it just a little bit later on. As I read it before the official UK release, thank you to Waterstones who were dispatching their books rather early this year, it was rather easy to avoid the reviews, though I didn't actually have any intention of searching them out. I really don't like spoilers at all, and I get frustrated with myself when I end up catching something out of the corner of my eye that ruins the ending of something I've been reading or looking forward to. I enjoy reading and leaving reviews, ironically. Seriously, it's how I spend most of my weekend. But I don't buy or read books based solely on online opinion. I will happily take recommendations from friends, bookstagrammers I follow and others I know share my taste. But Goodreads and Amazon reviews are never a decision maker for me. If they were, I would miss out on so much. One of the main reasons I share so much of myself in these episodes is because I think that knowing more about who I am as a reader gives you a better idea of what I like and why I like it. Of course, if reviews prove anything, it's that everyone has an opinion and they are perfectly entitled to it, but not everyone's views will be the same. In order to ensure that I don't spoil anything for you, I am really careful about how I talk about the books, but I'm also careful about the reviews I select, so you can pick up and enjoy the book if you want to, without having been spoiled on any of the major twists or turns that occur within the storyline. When it comes to reviews in general, I think that they're a really good reflection of how different everyone happens to be. Though these reviews that I talk about come from both ends of the spectrum, I think it's important to make up your own mind. Don't let any of these reviews, including mine, sway you on the path you're going to take. Rachel gave the book one star and she's relieved there are only two books in the series. She said, Thank goodness this was only a duology. Please pray that I am not mistaken, because A, I refuse to DNF a series, and B, I desperately do not want any more books in this series. The first half reinvented the first book's plot. The second half barely expounded upon that. The romance was awful, the characters lacklustre, the world building barely strung together. There are deaths, which is the only saving grace. I am so, so sorry, but I am not a happily ever after reader without some real world consequences. And I do not believe all characters should make it out alive. If you're dabbling in the genre of a war encrusted fantasy romance anyway. 
The reviews for this book have proved to be quite interesting. As I searched through the content on Goodreads, I grew increasingly concerned. So many reviews were either completely hidden because they were full of spoilers, or they started with, I DNF'd this book, life is too short. I have to admit that I legitimately breathed a sigh of relief when I found Rachel's review, which was not only spoiler-free, but also from someone who had actually finished the book. That's not to say that the book only received negative reviews, because it really didn't. On Goodreads, the overall rating for the book is a very good 4.30, which is much more, well not much more, but more than the 4.27 that Divine Rivals is currently displaying. Though the book has only been out for just over a month, the sheer volume of reviews makes it clear that it has found a strong audience. There are 67,576 ratings and 12,763 reviews, with the majority of those, 46% or 31,502 readers, feeling the book was deserving of a five-star rating. Less than 1%, 140 in total, of readers found the book only warranted one star. This is a very positive reflection of the feelings that most had of the book when they picked it up, and no less than I expected given the hype that it had received all over social media from people who loved Divine Rivals. Chloe clearly loved this book and states she would give it six stars if the site allowed. She said, Undeniably six stars. Flawless. I don't even have the words to do this duology justice. A book is just words on paper and yet this book has effectively destroyed me. For anyone expecting this book to be painful, it certainly is. Excruciating, tender and beyond beautiful with some of my favourite prose that I have ever had the pleasure of reading. This book did not let me down in any way. Iris and Roman share a love that is so soft while still being strong and unwavering. Their connection is written so beautifully that I experienced every emotion from agony to longing to hope to hopelessness. Tender love is something I don't read enough of and I don't think I would ever tire of it. If you don't believe in love, please let these two fictional characters convince you otherwise. Write me a story where there is no ending, Kit. Write to me and fill my empty spaces. I am not sure I am ever going to recover from this book, so please excuse me while I go order every cover edition and mourn that this duology is over for the rest of my mortal existence. Not much I can say to that apart from, wow. Interestingly enough, the majority of negative reviews followed a formula, either unfinished or unsatisfied, but this is something I have noticed tends to be the case when it comes to novels in the fantasy and romanticy realm. The, view, the reviewers fell into one of two camps, those who, like me, don't like leaving a duology unfinished, or readers who read and read and somewhat enjoyed the first books and were hoping the second one would be better. When I picked up Ruthless Vows, I had a couple of expectations and hopes, so I went in knowing what I wanted. But obviously, these wants change with every book. I would love to know what others wanted or needed when they wrote their reviews. Wouldn't that be great, knowing exactly what they were expecting when they picked up a book? That way, any disappointment or satisfaction would be so much easier to comprehend. 
I guess this is why I think that you have to take every single review you read with a pinch of salt. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Ruthless Vows by Rebecca Ross. Completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer, truly I don't. But I went into this book hoping that I was going to get something that really eliminated the negative thoughts I had when I finished Divine Rivals. Unfortunately, that did not end up being the case. I'm going to recap a little on Divine Rivals for those who didn't hear the episode, which I will post the link to below, or have forgotten in the months since July 2023, because it has been a while. Initially, when I finished the book, I was high on the romance and probably the hype that the book had received, and part of me felt that I should like it. The more I thought about it, and even as I started planning out the content to record, I began to realise that the book wasn't actually all that great. When I read a fantasy novel, in fact, when most people read a fantasy novel, the world building is vital. I know that there are many creative issues with books like Fourth Wing, but the one thing I personally feel Yaros nailed was the world building. We got a sense of the history of the gods they worshipped, of how they ended up where they were. Divine Rivals dumped us in the middle of a war that made no sense, with a magic system that never got explained. At the end of the first book, Iris and Roman are not only in love, but married. But after an attack on their home away from home, they are separated. Roman has been taken captive by Dacra, one of the gods for whom many have been fighting. And Iris has found her brother Forrest, who has been missing since he headed to the front line. Ruthless Vows pretty much starts where we left off, only skipping ahead two weeks. Iris has returned to Oath, where she is obviously concerned about her missing husband, whom she hasn't heard from in the two weeks since they were separated. She is happy that she has found her brother and they continue to live together in the room that they called home before she decided to sign up to become a war correspondent. Roman, having suffered injuries at the hand of Dacra's forces, has woken to find he is a prisoner of the man he was once speaking out against. Unwillingly, he becomes a voice for Dacra's mission, releasing articles that explain his side of the war and how he is doing everything he can to save the people from far worse powers that would overtake them should he lose. Of course, there is another side to this. Iris is trying to reach out to Roman through their connected typewriters, or rather through his typewriter and the one she steals from Oath's museum, but he doesn't remember who she is, or understand why someone is contacting him. Anyway, that's not really relevant to my opinion of this book. I hate to say it, and I, I really do, especially as this was my first read of 2024, but I was disappointed with this book. I didn't truly have high hopes, but there was some small part of me, as there always is, that hoped the additional 50 pages, that admittedly looks like more in the chunky hardcover, would be the world building that was missing from Divine Rivals, and the world building I needed as a reader. While we did get to find out a little, more, a little bit more background, especially where the two warring gods Enver and Dacra were concerned, it turned out they were married, 
But then we were introduced to a brand new potential evil that had been apparently lurking in the darkness for years, waiting to step into the light in the form of the graveyard. And I have to be honest here, the whole graveyard thing just baffled me. As with many elements of the book, this secret society had so much potential to be something that bubbled under the surface until the big reveal. But it just read like a damp cloth being wrung out with not enough form or substance to make it into a possible big evil or a massive saviour. And I really do hate to say it. I keep on, I'm going to keep on saying that. But I'm not actually sure what it was meant to be. You know me, I pride myself on honesty when it comes to book reviews, so you are going to get it. I did not like this book. I felt that it was as weak as Divine Rivals in so many ways, and I know I'm going to come under the cosh for this one because a lot of people did love it. And despite really wanting to enjoy it and having this incredible hope that everything lacking was going to suddenly appear, I was sadly to be massively disappointed. Sure, the romance and the pining was beautifully written. In fact, I would go so far as to say it was almost poetic. But it pains me to say it. This book is just not one I will ever reread. I don't think I would have picked it up at all were it not for the fact that I am not a fan of leaving a series unfinished when I can sort of face pushing myself through. It's such a shame that Ruthless Vows didn't cut it for me because the series really had so much potential. The characters Roman and Iris are a fantastic base for a good story. The whole frenemies to lovers aspect coupled with the backdrop of war, faceless, super powerful gods and a magical system that has some connection to class and position. There were so many places that you could travel with these things, but for some reason this just didn't go anywhere. The story felt flat and empty, and while it could have been so much more with a small and well-structured cast, it just wasn't. Again, this is my opinion, and every episode always is. I know that a lot of people absolutely adored this work and gushed about it so much that I experienced real FOMO when I didn't immediately pick up Divine Rivals upon release. Ruthless Vows is one of those books that didn't really finish up the story that was started. It simply added more content and contributed little, explaining even less. But, oh well. Now that I have determined 2024 is the year of joy, I am hopeful I won't have any more experiences like this one. And at least I have a complete series on my shelf. At least until I decide to pass it on to someone else. Another thing I have determined I will be doing with books that I don't like, but no others will. What surprised me most about the book? I guess the most surprising thing about Ruthless Vows is that when it ended, I didn't feel the sort of closure I expected to, or at least sort of hoped for. Even though it wasn't a book I enjoyed, again, sorry to anyone who loves it, I kind of hoped that there... I, I would experience some resolution that as the final part of the duology, the characters would get their potential happy ending and the epilogue, if there was one, would be of a few years in the future where the characters have succeeded in accomplishing what they intended and even more than that, they were happy. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, 
then you'll love these. When it comes to fantasy, there are so many directions to go. If you love your dragons, then Fourth Wing and Iron Flame or The Sky Riders or Six Crimson Cranes, which I read recently and absolutely loved. If you're looking for something with gods and monsters, then God Killer or maybe The High Mountain Court. Of course, if you love your fairy fantasy or fairy tale inspired books, then there's A Court of Thorns and Roses, A River of Golden Bones, Fall of Wrath and Ruin, or the brand new release, Feybound. There are so many options and so many different types of fantasy that the choices you have are pretty much endless. I could run through a list for the next hour and be nowhere near running out. This year hasn't started how I expected and those unplanned events are going to be continuing into February but I am hopeful they won't affect my plans though who knows what's going to happen right? Anyway as that is the case my reading hasn't been as extensive as it tends to be normally at the beginning of the year Add a few disappointing reads to COVID and then an unavoidable slump and you get my current read list of just seven books. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that things improve over the next few weeks. My pre-order list continues to grow, as I've mentioned, and more and more books are being announced. Believe me, every single time a promotional release is mentioned, I check out the book and the summary and then immediately go to Waterstone's to see if a special edition is going to be released, because I do love adding those to my shelves. I am still contemplating my position where Fairy Loot and Locked Library are concerned. It's frustrating because it took me months to get off the waiting list for Fairy Loot. However, over the last few months, the books that have been delivered have not really been either to my taste or books that I would consider reading, and some, particularly those delivered in January, were less than I expected when it came to their design. Oh well, thoughts for another day, I guess, though I would be interested to hear what you've thought about the last few months of subscription boxes. Now that I have decided to stop restricting myself, if you have any book recommendations you think I'd enjoy, please email me at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram where I also post pictures of my current and planned reads. Don't forget if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter, which will be rebooting in February on my website beingbookish.co.uk and yes I know I keep on saying it's being rebooted it's being rebooted but I have massive plans and I am determined not to be derailed again well that's it for this week and thank you so much for listening if you like what you hear why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on apple podcasts spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you might listen because it truly does help me reach a wider audience and if you enjoy it then i'm sure they will you can also follow me on Instagram as Being Bookish Pod, on TikTok as Being Bookish Reviews, and on X as Being underscore Bookish. And you can find newer episodes and some book themed shorts on YouTube where I am at Being Bookish Pod. 
Of course, you can also check out my website for the podcast back catalogue and full written spoiler-free book reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I have a few things left to do before I start another week at work, and I really want to continue reading the Agatha Christie that I started yesterday. Though, (laughs) yeah, hopefully it's going to continue enthralling me. So until next time, this is me saying... Farewell. <laughs>